Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech, including washing machines. Yep, it's time for a classic episode. This episode originally published on April 21st, 2014. It is called How Washing Machines Work. And it seems simple, but it turns out this is one of those topics that has a lot more going on than you might imagine. So uh, let's roll up our sleeves and dunk our arms deep in that soapy water and find out how washing machines work. All right, Lauren. Yes, Jonathan. Have you ever had to clean any of your clothes without the benefit of a machine to do it for you? I actually sink wash a lot of stuff. It takes some effort, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's not fun. It is not a fun thing to do. It is the opposite of fun. I have also done this. I, uh, Lauren and I have both in the past, not together, 
<laughs> worn costumes for various occasions, like, you know, it's Thursday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Thursday is my favorite costume. Some days, day, some costumes, you just they're not washing machine safe. They're delicate. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you got to kind of not so delicate that you don't have to put in a ton of effort to get them clean, though. So here's how washing tends to work. You get some water. You put some soiled clothing in the water. Then you agitate the soiled clothing. And I don't mean you say nasty things about its mother. You actually have to physically move that clothing around in order to shake loose the dirt. If you really want to say nasty things about its mother, I mean... It pretty much naturally happens. It's not going to hurt. Yeah, it might actually make you feel better yeah. as, you're, as you're scrubbing up to your elbows. It'll make your roommates think you're really weird. <laughs> that, that ship sailed a long time ago. So yeah, you have to put in all this, this physical work to kind of shake loose the dirt, and then you... Take the water away. You take the clothes away from the water. You take the water away from the clothes, however you do it. And then you rinse it off. And then you try and wring it out. And then you hang it up to dry or however you want to dry it. So what we needed to do was find a way of making this process, which used to be that that used to be the way we cleaned everything. Didn't matter if it was delicate or not. Mm -hmm. We needed to find a way to make that less of a chore. So we wanted to talk about the history of washing machines as well as how they worked and to begin with, the history is not all that clear because, as it turns out, a lot of people just didn't really bother, you know, recording all the developments in washing machine technology. Uh, well, the, the thing is, is that most of the time the washing was being done by um, by people in the lower classes mm-hmm. uh, who were not also writing scientific papers about advancements in this kind of tech. So. Right. So there's there's a whole lot of disagreement on when stuff happened, where it happened, um, what the terminology was, because the terminology varied from like town to town. Yeah. 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 Whether or not you had a stomp bucket or not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like there, there's some great terms that we're going to talk about here. But I'm so excited. We're going to we're going to do our best to wade through the confusion and lead you to the other side where the light will be seen by all and we'll have clean clothes there. That's my goal. So first, we're going to start with ancient Rome, because this has nothing to do with washing machines, but it was so cool I had to bring it in. (laughs) So the ancient Romans were among the earliest peoples to offer public laundry services. They had an entire class of people who whose job it was to clean clothes. And those those people were dudes. Yeah, they were dudes. This was this was men's work because it was heavy duty, hard work. You see, back in Roman times, all the clothing was made out of wool wool this heavy yeah cotton didn't exist yet yeah so i don't know if you've been to italy or various other regions that were part of the roman empire it's warm mm-hmm. you know and people people get a little uh you know little little sweaty little little stinky little stinky and so you need to clean those clothing so they had these people these men called fulones now fulones were uh the they were the in charge of cleaning the clothes. You would pay them and they would take the clothes. They put them in a vat. Uh, it would be a vat that, you know, go up to like, say, the, the waist or so has some water in it. And then they'd stomp on the clothing and stomp and stomp and stomp. And this is that physical agitation action we're talking about that shakes loose the dirt. Uh, and then they would end up pulling that out, wringing out the clothes, laying them on the ground or hanging them up. They would also use other materials to try and whiten uh, anything that needed to be white, they you know, try and bleach it. They would also mm-hmm. use the sun to bleach the mm-hmm. stuff. So this is the, the the way the earliest clothes here, you know, we're talking about Roman times, how they were washing them all the time. And uh, like we said, associate with men. That'd be about the last time we say that. <laughs> Except in my house, I do the laundry. So oh, okay. I do the laundry and I do the cooking. 
You know, we're not we're not tied down by by egalitarian yeah sure. gender roles. And uh, at any rate, medieval Europe. So this is where we start getting into some interesting uh, terminology. So people would use things called washing bats, also called beetles or battle doors. Yes, raise the battle door and wash that tunic. Yeah, it's uh, essentially it's something that you would use specifically to, again, agitate the clothing while it's in uh, flowing water. So usually this was done for most people literally along the side of a river. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'd use it as kind of a uh, I think that washing bats referred to like the scrubbing related devices yeah. like it was used in conjunction with those scrubbing boards. Right, right, right. Yeah. You had the scrubbing boards you also had there and it, you had to go to where the water was. I mean, some people had water come to them, but not very many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, use that physical motion to loosen dirt washed away by water. Uh, uh, you, you could do this in a tub with a handheld agitator if you weren't near any sources of, of running water. Yep. And that's uh, that's kind of how things how things went for, for centuries. Centuries. Yeah. yeah. Till we get to the 18th century. And uh, at this time, this is when we start to see the concept of laundry being, quote unquote, women's work. Uh, the idea being that women since, you know, they don't have to go out and farm all day, they can stay at home and do the easy work, you know, like the back-breaking laundry that has to be done by hand. It really was a, a very tough job. Um, I mean, especially in places where you have to go run out and get the water, uh, what does the washing? Yeah, uh, I got a quote here from a Nevada housewife from the, the kind of the pioneer days, really. Uh, her name was Rachel Haskell, and she said, that doing laundry was the Herculean task which women all dread, and also described it as the great domestic dread of the household. Because this is, I mean, it wasn't just that it was back-breaking work. I mean, you had to really put effort in it if you wanted clean clothes. Also, the materials you used could be kind of rough on skin. I mean, we're talking oh, about yeah. some caustic materials. Uh, yeah, for a long time, uh, whites and natural fabrics were soaked in pure lye instead of being washed with soap because soap was really expensive. Yikes. So, so that's really fun. Um, a, a recent study out of the University of Montreal suggested that advances in household technology during the 20th century was partially responsible for a jump in the number of, of married women being in the workforce from 5% circa 1900 to 51% circa 1980. Um, and a decrease in time spent per week on household chores from 58 hours to just 18 hours in the same approximate period of time. So dropping 40 hours a week, a full-time job yeah. worth of chores dropped in a week because of devices of convenience like the washing like machine. Like the washing machine, yeah. Um, you know, if, if you didn't have that river handy... You would, uh, you would have, have your, have your bucket and a tool called, depending on where you were, and I, and I had to add this note because all of these tool names make me so happy. Uh, a posser, dolly, dasher, punch, or punch. Yeah, I'm and, pretty sure I'd want to punch if I had to do this. And something that at any rate looked a, a little bit like a plunger with like hol- holes or vents in the base, um, to let water squeeze through. And you just stand over a tub on the floor and, and manually agitate the laundry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, By the so, way. You guys are really missing out because Lauren and I are both expressive people. And when we talk about how this happens, we act it out. So it's too bad this isn't a video podcast. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's really good that it's not a video podcast. (laughs) So moving on, we now get to 1782. Now, over in Great Britain, a fellow named H. Sigier invented what we think was the first washing machine. And what this was was essentially a cage of wooden rods and a handle to turn those rods. And turning the handle, move the rods, which would agitate clothes within a vat. So you're still using hand power 
to do this, but you're no longer like actively in the water moving clothing around. Yes. So that that was a slight advantage. And other people started making similar sorts of washing machines. And most of these were not really convenient for like home use. This was stuff an industrial level. Yeah, kind this of is thing. Just, just too big and too clunky and too expensive for mm-hmm. most people. It just wasn't practical for them. But it was showing where things were moving. Uh, the first patent wouldn't show up, though, until about 1846, right? Yeah, that's when you got a patent in the U.S. Patent Office for wa- a washing machine that cleans clothes by rubbing them between two curved surfaces. And once again, you mechanically move this yourself. You had a lever, and the lever is what made these curved surfaces move against each other. And it was that rubbing motion within water with these curved surfaces that would actually clean the clothing. Uh, it ended up being a pretty popular design and, in fact, would last well into the well the early 1900s. So uh, nearly a century, even after other alternative methods were introduced. Hmm. So 1851, we get James King, who invented the revolving drum. Now, that's the basis of most washing machines and even dryers today. Uh, yeah, that's that's what you've got at home, probably. Yeah. Uh, although an improvement was made just a few years later in 1858, you had Hamilton Smith, who invented the revolving drum with reversing action, meaning the drum could actually revolve in either direction. Uh, so this would allow lots of different washing machines to use that kind of uh, back and forth motion as a, a form of agitation. Ah, uh-huh. um, so if you have a, to help do some of the work for you of moving all that water around. Exactly. So like the front loading uh, uh, types of washing machines we see today, most of those can turn in either direction. So they're really descendants of Hamilton Smith's work. Then in 1874, I had to add this in and I'm going to include the snarky joke I wrote in the notes which is that William Blackston, who was a corn planter and manufacturer, created a washing machine and gave it to a, uh, as a gift to his wife for her birthday, and then she threw corn at him. Okay, so so while I make a joke about <laughs> the guy buying his wife another appliance for her to do work with, in reality, it actually was simplifying her life quite a bit. At that, at that point, it could probably be considered a sweet gesture. Yeah, yeah, because... It means taking hours of time off of all the chores that she would have to do. I mean, hopefully there was like chocolate involved too, or something. Maybe it was a know. maybe it was partially made from that. In which case, it was probably not terrible. Not effective. a very effective. But but, but no, no. <laughs> actually, a lot of washing machines. Uh, like he actually started to offer to sell them because she did like this. It did uh, make it easier for her to wash clothes. And again, this was mechanically operated. There was a hand crank. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it was some sort of uh, was automated or made of wood. Yeah, yeah he yeah. wasn't pouring. Uh, steel drums in his yeah, cornfields. Not, not steam-powered washing machine or something. So she she would turn it by hand, but it still made it easier. And because it was so practical, he started to sell them. And the price tag on a washing machine, a William Blackston washing machine, according to the sources I saw, and keep in mind, this is another one of those things where I'm skeptical, but every source I found said it, $2.50 for a washing machine. Wow. That's a bargain. Uh, well, in 1874, I, the. That's true. In 1874. Inflation calculators don't even go back that far. Yeah. In 1874, $2.50 would buy you the Nevada Territory, but. <laughs> or a washing machine. <laughs> listen, I'm no scrub, but we do have to take a break and listen to these ads. We'll be back to talk more about washing machines after this quick break. Working remotely. Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids how about instead of timeouts time ins time for you to start paying some bills i'm jb smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast straightforward inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at&t fiber get what you want without the complicated at&t fiber live like a giggillionaire available wherever you get your podcast limited availability in select areas visit att.com slash hypergig for details In 1888, we had Ellen Egloe, who invented a ringer to sit atop washing machines and, and help dry out the laundry. She sold the rights to her idea for $18. Uh, the story goes that she only sold the idea because, being a black woman, she didn't think that white women would buy the product if they knew who had created it. Um, and I guess $18 really wasn't too shabby at the time, though the fellow that she sold it to wound up making a good deal of money on it, although more on that in just a moment. So in 1893, we have the Maytag Corporation being founded. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, it wouldn't be until 1907 that they would come out with a washer because Maytag did more than just washing machines. Mm-hmm. But, and and that was still mechanical, right? Yes, that is true. It was still mechanical. It was not an electric washer at that time. Uh, well, which makes sense because only um, 8% of U.S. homes at the time had electricity. Only 25% had running water. Yeah. So, you know, the, if you're going to market it to a large group and if you want to actually help people then you have to design something that's going to work for the most people right mm-hmm. uh i do think that the maytag repair guy probably got called out for more repairs back in the mechanical days 
he doesn't get a lot of <laughs> according to the commercials he doesn't do very much these days although although at the time since since telephones weren't yeah. a, a very popular thing would, you I'm just, sure it was just, just stand just outside Maytag also it's Colin Ferguson who's the Maytag guy now which is kind of weird that's very yeah, strange. You're seeing the guy from Eureka as the Maytag repair guy. In 1905, we have Alva J. Fisher, who produces the first electric washing machine. Now, the motor at that time was bolted to the side of the washing machine and was unshielded, an electric motor. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been taught that two things you don't necessarily want to mix together are water and open electronics. <laughs> Apple has told me many times that if I do introduce those two things, it's totally my fault. Um, yeah, so it turns out that, uh, water from the vat could sometimes come out and hit the motor and cause a short circuit. Sometimes this would result in damage to the device. Sometimes it would result in a jolt of electricity hitting a person, but it wouldn't be until the 1930s, presumably after one too many laundry workers got zapped, that they would start to shield the motor from the rest of the washing machine, thus preventing water from actually hitting the motor. Uh, kind of funny that it took nearly three decades for that to happen. 1908, we have the Hurley Machine Company of Chicago introducing the first electric power washing machine, which na- it had the name of Thor. That's Ac- great. According to one source, it was actually called the Mighty Thor. <laughs> and this was based off of Alva J. Fisher's design. So Fisher was working for the Hurley Machine Company at that time. So Thor hits the market. And in 1911, we have uh, developments with the oscillating cylinder, uh, which uh, and also with domestic washing machines using sheet metal tubs mounted on angle iron frames to be the the basic design of your washing machine. That same year, the Uptown Machine Company, which would later become the Whirlpool Corporation, formed and produced electric motor-driven ringer washers. You know, we, we mentioned ringers. You said the ringer on uh-huh. the other one. That was one of the patents that they bought in order to build this machine. There you go. So you, if you wonder what a ringer actually is, it's think of two rollers that are really tightly spaced together, and you ring the clothing by putting it between the two rollers. You turn a crank. This kind of pulls the cloth through, and it squeezes that excess water out. Uh, it's kind of like imagining two steamrollers right next to each other. And also, you don't want to put your fingers anywhere near there because they will get squished. Yep. All right. So then we get up to the 1920s. That's when some manufacturers begin to introduce electric or gas water heaters that are part of the washing machine itself. Because while we started to see running water entering in more homes, not all homes had water heaters. If you had water, there was a chance it was just going to be cold. Mm -hmm. So in order to make a more effective washing machine, hot water tends to wash clothes a little better than cold water does. Though we'll get we'll talk a little bit about that with the modern ones as well. Uh, Some machines had onboard water heaters. Yeah, gas or electric. electric or gas, right, right. Yeah, so but then once we start seeing water heaters going into homes, this became less important. And you stop seeing models with their own onboard heaters uh, for the most part. Uh, 1922, Maytag introduces a washing machine with an agitator. Um, it doesn't use an agitator to introduce a washing machine. That would just sound irritating. Some guy coming to your house and saying, hey, your clothes are dirty. You need to wash them. No, we're talking about an actual component within a washing machine. Lauren is doing her head shaking thing. Uh, 1930s, we have uh, manufacturers who begin to include a drain pump motor to remove water from a washing machine once the cycle is over because if you're thinking these early washing machines meant that water magically entered into the machine, then you did your washing, you turned some cranks or whatever, and then the water magically went away, no. You had to put the water there 
you had to take the water back out. You know, you had to find some way of, of you know, some of them had like a little drain spout type thing that you would drain at the, the end of the day, whatever. This was an actual pump that would use mechanical motion to pump water back out. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, using electronics to kind of simplify work. Uh, 1937, we have the Bendex Corporation introducing the first fully automated washing machine. Now, this involves using a clock timer that's connected to the washing machine controls. It tells the machine, essentially, what stage it's in and therefore switches. Because before that... You had a, a manual switches that were that were operated by... A human being. A human person. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had to actually sit there and... and or you know, come back even more frequently to your washing machine. Right, right. You had to sit there and say, oh, you know, that, <laughs> that the timer says that the time has passed for it to do the wash cycle. Now I need to go and switch it over to do a spin cycle or something along those lines. So, uh, yeah, this this was another big advance. In the 1940s... Uh, washer production in the U.S. would largely stop as supplies and factories were bent to the war effort because uh, that was when World War II was happening. Yep. Um, for example, Whirlpool, which was then under the name 1900 Corporation, uh, produced some... Two million components for P-40 Warhawk aircraft from, like, propeller pitch controls to carburetor parts. Yeah, I hear they were the cleanest parts in all of the war effort. She's shaking her head again. I'm just going to move on. 1947, (laughs) General Electric claims that they invented the first fully automated washing machine. Uh, Now, we assume that they mean fully automated washing machine that actually had an agitator. With an agitator, right. The previous one did not have an agitator. Uh, The agitator's job, again, is to... Uh, to provide that motion within the washing machine within the tub that's yeah. that's moving the water and yeah it's really it's really meant to simulate a an ancient roman stomping on your clothes mm-hmm. that's really what an agitator's meant to do <laughs> uh that's the way i like to put it so we then have very slow evolution in washing machine technology it wasn't exactly one of those areas that required uh a lot of um of of advances to keep it to keep the industry healthy. For one thing, once you buy one, you pretty much stick with it for a really long time. Yeah, you don't need one for a good bit. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, they're expensive and uh, and they generally last a pretty long time. So we didn't see huge advances, uh, but we did see some. And then we're going to skip to 1990. That's when a certain James Dyson, British inventor, creates a washing machine that has two cylinders rotating in opposite directions, which actually reduces the wash time and supposedly it actually washes clothes more effectively than traditional machines. Wouldn't surprise me. Dyson's made a lot of interesting stuff. Uh-huh. 2008 is the last thing we have in our timeline. That's when engineers at the University of Leeds created a washing machine that uses just one cup of water to wash a full load of clothing. Wow. What? Yeah. I don't even one understand cup. that. Yeah, when we talk about how much water our normal washing machines use, one cup is crazy. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about using less than 2% of the water and energy required by conventional machines to wash clothing. And also the clothes are pretty much dry after you wash them. You haven't used that much water. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't have any more details on that about what is actually happening. I suspect laundry gnomes. I always suspect laundry gnomes. I do, too. They're suspicious little jerks. All right. Well, you know what? It's time to turn this episode on the rinse cycle. But to do that, we're going to take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids how about instead of timeouts time ins time for you to start paying some bills i'm jb smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast straightforward inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at&t fiber get what you want without the complicated at&t fiber live like a giggillionaire available wherever you get your podcast limited availability in select areas visit att.com slash hypergig for details Okay, so let's talk about how modern washing machines work. And we're going to start with top-loading machines. So these are the machines where there's a little door at the top of the machine. You lift it up, you put all your clothing in. Most of them, almost all of them, have an agitator inside. That's the kind of the, the central post that sticks up from mm-hmm. the bottom of the, of the washing machine. Although uh, from now on, if you really want to, you could probably call it a posser, dolly, dasher, ponch, or punch. Okay, so if you're using your Posser Poly Punch Dasher Ponch, I I got all the words just out. Yeah, exactly, Rudolph. (laughs) Uh, But the agitator has, usually it has some fins on it and some other, uh, uh, like, protrusions on the bottom of it. Now, these serve a purpose. When it's turning in the water, it actually has this action upon the clothing that's that's also inside the machine. It'll either pull it down toward the bottom of the machine or push it back up toward the top, and that's the agitating movements you get to shake loose all that dirt. So, again, trying to replicate all the other means we've used to clean clothes over the years. Mm-hmm. That inner drum that the clothes are sitting in itself may or may not move as well. 
Yeah, usually you have one that will uh, spin because it has to drain out the water. But during the actual agitation process, it's pretty common that there's going to be a braking system on that thing. And it holds it in place. So the agitator is doing all the moving because if the drum were rotating the same time the agitator is rotating, it would reduce the effectiveness of the agitator. Right. So, yeah, most of these are going to have an inner drum that's going to be steady. Uh, it's connected to an outer drum. The outer drum is watertight. It has to be, or else you have a huge mess every time you attempt to make uh, to clean clothes. The inner drum has holes in it that allow the water to drain out, and then it usually it's then picked up by a drain pump that pulls it out of the uh, the machine itself. But with your top loading washers, you've got intake valves that uh, allow water to come in, and mm-hmm. you have a cold water and a hot water one, right? So generally speaking, most of these washing machines. Uh, they, if you set a washing machine to wash cold, it'll only allow water from the cold intake to come in. If you want it hot, it'll only allow water from the hot intake. So the machine itself, for most of these, doesn't have its own discrete heating element. It's just relying on the temperature of the water from your house to provide the heat or the cold water. If you want warm, it does a mixture of both. Oh, right. 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 So... Uh, not too complex there. Now, some some washing machines do have a little heating element, and they'll allow uh, warm or hot water to go across it to make it even hotter. Hmm. Uh, that tends to be more common in front loaders that I've seen than top loaders. But it's possible that you could find a top loader that also has its own discrete little electric heating element. It kind of looks like the sort of thing you would see in an electric stove. Oh, okay. So, uh, and then water just goes uh, over it, and that heats up. So... Then you've got a a water level sensor that's inside the machine itself. So when the water hits the right level, the sensor is triggered, and that sends a message to the control center in the washing machine to say, hey, stop letting water in. It sends a signal to the intake valve, has a little solenoid there, that when you trigger it, it'll shut that intake valve. So no more water will come in, so you don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. a huge overflowing mess. And solenoid valves, of course, being the kind of thing uh, so that there cannot be a exchange of water back out from, you you can't get the dirty wash water going back out into your neighborhood. uh, Yeah, into the pipes. Pipes. Yeah, because that would be be really bad. So yeah, the, the valve has two purposes. One, to stop more water coming in and to stop all the dirty water going back out. You only want the dirty water to go out through the exhaust. Solenoid is like a one-way thing. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of uh, pinball machines, solenoids. That's what all the little triggers are used. Solenoids are used in those. Just a little little trivia there. People who listen to uh, Current Geek have heard me bust out that trivia in the past. So now you've got uh, the the water has hit the right level. The mode goes into wash cycle. That's when, uh, by the way, for these top loader ones, don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but generally speaking, you have to put the soap in manually. Like you don't put it into a dispenser or something. You it, have do, to, it doesn't go in automatically now. No, you just you pour it on top of the mm-hmm. the clothing. Whether you're using liquid detergent or or a, a solid detergent doesn't matter. You put it in with the clothing. If you forgot to put it in there, you are not going to have that you know Daisy Fresh scent or whatever brand you happen to get. <laughs> so uh, the agitator begins to turn, and it usually will. Uh, what you got is you've got a drive motor. Normally, it's on the bottom of the washing machine. It also tends to act as a uh, counterbalance, a, a counterweight, which, by the way, you've got several counterweights in your washing machines because you've got lots of motion going on. And if you didn't have them there, your washing machine would be dancing all over the place. Yes. Yeah. Anyone who's ever uh, had an unbalanced load in a washing machine and you start hearing that thumping noise, 
if you didn't have the counterweights in there, it would become catastrophic. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a, a really complex suspension system. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it involves like a like a inner frame, a cable and pulley suspension and these little like disc brake like mechanisms that connect that inner frame to the corners of the outer walls. Um, and that's so that when the frame, that inner frame shakes, they slow it down softly so that it doesn't hit against the the outer wall of the right. washer mm-hmm. and then because other, otherwise you would just be convinced that your house had been invaded by uh, a horde of extremely loud ghosts you know <laughs> who who apparently are mad that you're doing laundry or really clumsy robots who are also right. anti-laundry it could be ghost robots that's true oh god i hate those yeah they're terrible Ugh. so next you have uh the once the drive motor gets going and it starts moving the agitator uh once the agitator is done, it's done oscillating, which is that that rotating motion where it goes in one direction, stops, goes in the other direction. Uh, that's what's actually moving the clothes around, getting them washed. Then you have the drain pump pulling all that wastewater out from the tub of the washing machine and through the drain pipe. Uh, that's uh, it's it's actually the same pump that circulates the water into the tub during the wash cycle. Um, thanks to the pump motor being reversible, it spins one way when you're driving a wash cycle and the opposite way when you're draining the tub. Exactly, yeah. And so after this, then you've got the the those brakes that are on that inner drum that keep it from rotating while the agitator's moving. They release, and the inner drum begins to spin. So, uh, and and that that removes the water from the clothes. Yeah? Right. Yeah. It can it can spin a lot faster than the agitator does because the um although the motor itself usually only has one speed and that's the fast speed a gear reduction mechanism will translate the motion to to the gentle agitator speed. It's kind of like a washing machine version of a transmission. Uh yeah yeah because and and there's even more than that involved because hey the the pump. And the agitate spin mechanisms are both driven by the same motor. In, in some machines, there's in fact a, an actual transmission system with this automatic clutch that, um, that spins free with the inner drum during the agitate spin cycles mm-hmm. and then locks into the outer drum and the pump system during the, the water related cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or alternately, the motor can hook in via a pulley system, which I understand less well and thus will not talk about. <laughs> it essentially uses pulleys where you have different sized discs. To uh, to translate the motion either as fast and and frantic or more you know kind of loosey goosey. <laughs> uh, Makes sense. That's the term. Makes sense. But yeah, so uh, that's when you've got all the counterweights draining away. When when that thing is in spin, it's really there's some serious g forces coming out of that spinning drum. So that's why you have to have those counterweights to keep that washing machine from bursting out and killing your family. Uh, frequently, they're made of concrete, because why not? Yeah. So if you've ever thought, oh, this machine is so heavy. Yes. It, it, for a reason. It's filled with concrete yeah. and crazy, crazy mechanics. Um, if anything goes wrong during this entire process, there's usually an overflow port that will pipe water directly out onto your floor. Yes, that was not a design flaw. It was intentional, because if it goes up over the sides of the inner tubs, um, it could get those electronics wet. And then we're right back to that old bolting the motor directly to the side of the washing tub. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Bad times. So we talked about how that that uh, that special uh, leads team got one that would wash a load of clothing with one cup of water. And we talked about how that was less than 2% of what your average washing machine is able to do. So top-loading washing machines, if you're using a high-efficient top-loading washing machine, we're talking one that is as efficient as they come, you're ta- still talking about using around 20 gallons of water per wash. That's 76 liters. Uh-huh. 
uh, a typical non-high efficiency top loading washer is closer to 40 gallons, a.k.a. Uh, 151 liters. And older ones are even thirstier than that. Some use as many as 55 gallons, Yeesh. 208 liters of water. So, uh, and again, you know, we talked about how this technology doesn't necessarily develop that quickly and that there's not a pressing need necessarily to upgrade because these are expensive purchases. For mm-hmm. most people, it's one of those things where you're like, unless it breaks down, we're keeping this going as long as we can keep it. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're, they're even expensive enough. I mean, plenty, plenty of households do not own their own washer dryers. Oh, systems. sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was quite some time before I had my own. I often was doing one of those people I had to go to the laundromat. To uh-huh. my, it was my pretty recent for me. So, so, uh, so yeah. If you, if you end up having one of these things, then it can be, it can be tough to make the move to say, let's go to something that conserves more water. But the nice thing is that, even if you take the environmentally friendly stuff and you say that I can't consider that because it's it's uh, my it's out of my price it's range. out of my price range. Mm-hmm. If you look at the long term, and I'm I'm talking like a few years here, you can save more money with one of the more efficient machines just from the, the uh, water use, the water yeah. and and energy use. Yeah, mm-hmm. because front loading machines and these high efficient machines, the high efficient top loaders, use less water and less energy, and therefore the ongoing expense decreases, uh, it's it's lower than what you would use for an, a traditional top loader, and you will save money in the long run. But that's the long run. Not everybody has, has the a luxury. long run option. Yeah. Sure. So let's talk about front loading machines. They're pretty similar. I mean, obviously, you've got a door that opens in the front as opposed to on the top, uh, and there's a spinning drum inside them, and there's no agitator. So the drum does all the agitating on its own. You have uh, water coming in along with soap. In fact, uh, the the early process is identical to top loading. The water comes in uh, through intake valves. It may move over a heating element. It might not. Uh, it, it actually comes in through the drum. The drum, the inner drum has uh, holes in it that allow the water to pass through. Uh, rather than a spout at the top of the machine, which is what most top yeah, loaders have. Exactly. Uh, there's also an outer drum, just like with the top loader. You have the inner drum that's where all the clothes are, and that's where the water comes through. The outer drum is, again, watertight or else it'd just be a big mess. Um, and then the the inner drum will spin one way and then the other. It'll have this oscillating motion, very much like an agitator, and that's doing all the agitating for your clothing. Uh, again, you have to have counterweights on the drum, the outer drum itself, in order to, to stabilize it. And there's some counterweights also in other parts of the washer to make sure it doesn't go walking. Um, now, once the water comes in, a lot of these front loaders have a detergent drawer, you put the detergent inside the drawer and then you close it. When the water comes in, it'll actually flow through that drawer first and then pull that all the soap and stuff into the the inner drum itself. So it's you know, this is one where you don't put the soap in after you've put in the clothing. You put it in on the drawer and then you close the drawer and then you start the washer. Uh, presumably you put the clothes in there already. Uh, otherwise, you I would just, hope at some point you would put the clothes yeah, in. Yeah, because otherwise you just have soapy water. I mean, it's fun to watch. I, I get bored, and not, Netflix doesn't always have something I want to watch. So, uh, anyway, uh, again, you have the hot and cold water. You've got the you know same store stuff as top loader. It's got a water level sensor, just like the top loader does, so it knows when to shut it off. That basically is taking its cues from either whatever setting you've said, like whether it's a light load, a moderate load, or a heavy load, or some of them can actually detect how many how how much clothing is in there based on weight or. Uh, other parts of the water sensor, and we'll just shut off automatically. So That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> also, you can put in more clothing in a front loader than you can of a comparable size of a top loader because there's no agitator there. So, ah, so you've got more space, right? Yep. 
So you might be able to put in a few pounds of clothing more than you could with a top loader. So fewer loads of laundry. It's another way of being more, more efficient. efficient. Yep. So then you've got a motor that's bolted to the tub. It's often acting as another counterweight just with the top loader. And its job is to turn that drum, to turn it, uh, you know, make it oscillate and then also to spin it. When it gets to the spin cycle, the to you know it's already drained the water. There's also a drain pump, just like with a top loader, mm-hmm. and then the the whole drum spins wicked fast uh, until it pulls most of that water out. So uh, the brains of it is a control module. This is the same for both machines, top loaders and front loaders, and it usually will uh, be send signals to all sorts of stuff like when to allow uh, one phase of the the washing process to go to the next. It also will maintain uh, information about the door, because unlike a top loader, which often you can open the door while the top loader is working and it'll continue working. It, it depends. It different, depends. Different machines yeah. will do different stuff. Yeah. yeah, I had an old one. at my My parents had an old one where if you opened it in the middle, it was just going away. So you could still, <laughs> you could add more stuff to it. In fact, in some cases that you had to manually add in like if you wanted to put in fabric softener, you had to wait for it. It was not fully automated. You had to wait uh-huh. for the right time and then pour it in manually. Um, front loaders are different. They have a locking mechanism. and That's if, good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only if that mechanism has sensed that the door has actually closed that it'll allow it to start. Otherwise, you could end up with lots of leaking. Yeah, no, that, that sounds much messier, potentially. Yeah. Uh, granted, if the sensor's not working, then it may think it's closed when it's not really closed and then you get water everywhere. But... Assuming everything's working correctly, you should be fine. Uh, in any case, it's slightly less water than you would be using for a top loader generally, yeah? Yeah, it's normally somewhere around the 20-gallon or 76-liter amount. So that's the same as that high-efficiency top loader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it tends to use less energy, so it tends to be both uh, more energy-efficient uh, and water-efficient. And you can find some that are even more efficient than that, and it all depends upon things like the angle of the drums. Some of them are not angled directly horizontal some of them are angled so that they're kind of like there's a deep end and a, and a shallow end in a way from when you're looking at it in the front mm-hmm. it's like tilted downward a little bit uh and some of them are just it's based upon how the water comes in and how efficient it is uh you still see lots of of advances like whenever i go to ces there's always some companies that have like the cutting edge washer dryers and they talk about how uh, their technology has has improved to the point where you're you're using less water than ever and less inter- uh, electricity than ever. So we're still seeing those advances, and of course we're also seeing this come into the Internet of Things side. Oh, sure. Yeah, you, know, you get push notifications when your laundry is done, or you'll be able to uh, have it work in tandem with other electronics in your home for reasons I don't fully understand. I mean, honestly, if I if I could just get my dryer to dry my clothes without me having to run back up the three flights of stairs yeah. to where my laundry room in my house is. And, I, and I'm not, I'm complaining here. I know that a lot of people have it a lot harder, and I'm overall really glad that I don't have to do this in a river. Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, if if someone does kvetch a little bit about uh, about having to take a little extra effort, that does not automatically mean that person feels that they are in a worse position than anyone else on the face of the planet. So let's all just accept that. So if I, if Just I, because some people on the Internet uh, do feel that way, that they are in yeah. a worse position than anyone else on the planet. Let's not let's not make the assumption that everyone is like that, because once in a blue moon, I do complain about things. But I do so with the full knowledge that, yes, indeed, I I 
I inhabit a very privileged position in multiple ways. Yes. <laughs> so uh, at any rate, uh, as someone who does the laundry in my home and our, our laundry machines are not on the same floor as our bedroom, which means that there's lots of hauling up and downstairs, I also feel that. Uh, I, I want my electronics to be interconnected so that when I go to cook something, it tells me, hey, your cooking shirt is clean. You want to put that one on because that's the one you don't care if you get grease stains on it, you slob. <laughs> I, I would like it if it were more polite, but I don't have high expectations of my electronics in that regard. Hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff, How Washing Machines Work from 2014. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, let me know. The best way to do that is to pop on over to Twitter. And we use the handle TechStuffHSW over there. I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.